Um, I have a video clip for you this morning to introduce my message. And um, it's from the film. It's probably been a long time since you've seen it. Uh, Chariots of Fire. And uh, I think it came out in 1981. Uh, This morning we're talking about the Sabbath from the book of Exodus, of course, chapter 31, starting at verse 12. We're continuing on through there. And I thought this would be an interesting video clip to just kind of introduce this conversation uh, about the Sabbath. And uh, let me just give you a little bit of context here, what's going on. Eric Little, who is a runner for Great Britain, uh, they're on the ship over to France where the Olympics are being held. And he's going to run several races. And he finds out along the way that one of his races is going to be held on Sunday. And that creates a problem for him. And uh, you're going to see the decision that he's faced with and what he ends up doing. So, Andrew, if you play that for us. Well, you've heard the music. You're all wanting to go for a run this afternoon now, right? Uh, would you be wrong in doing so? Interesting question. I want to ask you this. Did Eric Little do the right thing? Uh, I'm not going to answer that yet. We're going to take a whole service and work through this teaching, and then we'll come back to that, and and I hope to answer that for you. But before we dive into the Word together, uh, let's pray, and let's ask for the Lord's guidance. Uh, We learn from Him, not from films. Uh, Films are good catalysts, but we learn from the Lord. So let's pray. Father, we thank You uh, for a chance to gather together as the people of God. And I think of just last week as we went through the the design and the building of the tabernacle and all that had to take place so that Israel, a sinful people, could approach a holy God and worship. And yet this morning, because of Jesus, we can come directly into your presence so easily and maybe too easily at times. So we don't want to take that for granted. We acknowledge that you're here among us and we thank you for that. We thank you for sending your son so that we might approach you boldly. And I pray, God, that as we study your word, that we would learn, that we would grow, uh, that we would understand what you want us to know about you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'll read with me in your Bible, Exodus 31, starting at verse 12. It says this. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come, so you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from their people. For six days work is to be done, but the seventh day is a day of Sabbath rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath is to be put to death. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come as a lasting covenant. It will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. When the Lord finished speaking to Moses on Mount Sinai, he gave him the two tablets of the covenant law, the tablets of stone inscribed by the finger of God. Whenever we read the scriptures, I think one of our first temptations, especially for those who love the word of God and and want it in their life, our first uh, temptations is to just sort of take what we've just read and begin applying it right away. And, And that's done with the best of intentions. But remember, we have to be careful about that. 
Because this book, God's word, was written for us, but not directly to us. It was written in a time and a place and a context and a history to a people with real life circumstances going on. Good Bible reading will always ask three questions. Number one, what did this mean to the original hearers? Number two, what is the timeless principle? And number three, how is that significant to me today? That's good Bible reading. Otherwise, we may import a bunch of things that were never intended to be directly for us. We have to understand what it once meant, what it always means, and how that's significant to us. And that's what we're going to do this morning. So we're going to take a look at this, the Sabbath, as the Lord has uh, played it out here and described it to us. And we're going to try to understand what did the Sabbath mean for Israel. And the first point that I would make is this. uh, This, I think my battery's going low here. The Sabbath was God's gift to former slaves. The Sabbath was God's gift to former slaves. The Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat, which means literally to cease or to rest. Uh, And I think for Israel, who had just been delivered after 400 years of slavery in Egypt, uh, I think their rescue by, by God would have prompted all kinds of questions about sort of this new regime that they're a part of now. Who is this God? What does he want from us? What does he expect from us? What is he like? What kind of relationship will we have with him? Sure, he's rescued us, but what does our future with him look like? And just like you and I, when we get a new boss or a new teacher for the school year or a new supervisor or or something like that, we're kind of on pins and needles for a while. We want to know about who this individual is and how they'll relate to us and how we'll work together. And and I think Moses, if I put myself in his sandals... uh, after this meeting with God on top of Mount Sinai for 40 days and 40 nights, I think he must have been relieved and excited to be able to descend the mountain to speak to Israel about the goodness of a gracious God who is offering them something as rich as a Sabbath. Uh, in fact, there's a lot of things that I think was, that was good news for Moses as he was descending the mountain. First of all, he's descending to tell people that this God, this holy God, is going to dwell among the people, right? We looked at this last week with the instructions of the tabernacle, a way that God retains his holiness and yet gives access and an approach for a sinful people with this instrument, the tabernacle. So God's going to dwell among his people. And that was good news. Secondly, he's put this covenant relationship in writing. It's not this arbitrary contract that's sort of flimsy, but he put it down in his own penmanship written with his own finger. And I think that would have been encouraging for the people. But some of his last comments to Moses as Moses is about ready to descend the mountain are these instructions about the Sabbath and how to observe this. And I and I think this day of rest and worship as it was designed would have been good news to Israel specifically who were former slaves to know that, yes, they're going to serve God, but not as a slave. He is a good, kind and gracious God and he wants rest and worship for them. That being said, we do find some interesting things about the the Sabbath. Observing the Sabbath, we know, was a command. Um, Keeping the Sabbath was not optional for Israel. And I am going to show you in just a little bit that it is optional for you and for me. It's optional for us. And I'll show you uh, how I arrive at that. But for Israel, keeping the Sabbath was a command. It was an absolute command. It was part and parcel in with keeping the covenant with God. And let me show you how that is. 
observing the Sabbath, we're going to go through these points very quickly because I want to spend the bulk of my time on application for this this morning. But observing the Sabbath was to be a sign. Look at verse 12. Then the Lord said to Moses, say to the Israelites, you must observe my Sabbaths. This will be a sign between me and you for the generations to come. So you may know that I am the Lord who makes you holy. And so observing the Sabbath marked Israel as God's people. It showed that they were set apart to the Lord. This act of rest and worship showed their understanding that it was God. It was Yahweh who made them holy, not themselves. It was it was this act, this rest and this worship and practicing that it was a conspicuous act of loyalty to Yahweh. And it distinguished Israel as the people of God among all other nations. It was their sign. Do you see that? It was a sign that marked them and differentiated them and showed that they were in covenant with God. Uh, we also see that observing the Sabbath was. Press the button hard today. Observing the Sabbath was serious business. Look at verse 14. Observe the Sabbath because it is holy to you. Anyone who desecrates it is to be put in time out for a long time. No. I, I mean, it's almost hard to say it, but it says anyone who desecrates it is to be put to death. Those who do any work on that day must be cut off from the people. Uh, I mean, those are some heavy consequences, aren't they? They seem incredibly severe. Uh, but one thing that we know is that severe consequences keep us accountable to right behavior. Uh, whether we like it or not, that's true. Uh, let me illustrate that for you. This is from last year. Uh, I was out moose hunting. It's time for moose hunting stories, okay? So bear with me. I know, I can sense the eye rolls. That's okay. Some of you like it. I was out moose hunting, and I'm not telling you where. But I was in a trophy management area, and that means, of course, that this bull has to be four brow tine or 50 inches. And I found this sweet little spot, this just this little point that I could sit on in a transition area where the bulls were moving through, and I sat down for just a couple minutes, and I let out a little call, and this thing answered me immediately. He started coming to me, licking his lips, shaking his head, trying to let me know that he was big and I should get out of his area. And he kept coming closer and closer. And I'm looking at this thing. And he's only got three brow tine on one side. So I'm asking, is he 50 inches? Is this a 50 inch bull? What do you think? And then he comes closer. And he got closer than that. But that's when I switched the camera for the rifle. Uh, (laughs) He got closer. And I just couldn't make him for 50. I think he's 49 and three quarters. I mean, I feel like he's just right there. And I'm not a great judge of this, but it felt to me like he was that close. But I'm weighing out the consequences. If I'm wrong, I surrender my firearm, potentially four-wheeler, vehicles, getting in here, trailer, fines, hunting license, depending on what they want to do to me, right? And so severe consequences keep this guy alive And uh, for this year, for last year. This year he's going down. (laughs) We're going to go find him. Severe consequences hold us accountable to right behavior. And uh, so as much as we look at this consequence and we might get a little squeamish about it, we understand that it was an important reality. And so the consequences seem harsh, 
this death or being cut off from the people of God until you consider what it was that the Sabbath said. Keeping the Sabbath was a sign that they were in covenant with Yahweh. So not keeping the Sabbath wasn't just a lack of personal discipline. It was a way of saying, I'm out. I'm not in relationship with you. I'm not in covenant with you. And, and you were declaring that sort of openly. I'm not a partner in this covenant. We have other institutions in our culture where if you break covenant with them, there are severe consequences, such as the military. If you go AWOL or you participate in treason or desertion, there's some pretty stiff consequences because you threaten the integrity of the unit and the safety of everybody involved. What we understand here for Israel was that breaking the Sabbath was theological treason. It was saying, I'm not in covenant. I'm not in relationship with you. What, what would observing the Sabbath look like? Observing the Sabbath was marked by really two strong features, which were rest and worship. Uh, and as you can see, there's both a physical and a spiritual dimension to it that were really kind of interrelated for, for Israel. Um, by resting... And not working on the seventh day, one of the things that they showed and demonstrated was that they were no longer slaves. It was a testimony to God's deliverance. He rescued us. We're slaves no longer. And so that was one of the one of the aspects that was communicated in the rest piece. It also showed by resting that they were trusting God for their needs. The reason we work is not just because we love work so much necessarily, but because producing and gathering and and earning uh, for our needs and choosing to rest one day this seventh day here was a way that they showed that they ultimately trusted God for their provisions and for their needs and we see that really made clear to us in Exodus 16 where God told them to work six days right gathering but the seventh day they were not to go out and to gather they needed to trust God um, also we understand that uh, observing the Sabbath wasn't just the cessation of work Okay? But it had a whole other component, which was engagement and worship. It was the worship piece. In fact, I don't know if you, you think about this, but it's a little bit repetitive that we run into the Sabbath here again. Because we've already run into it in the Ten Commandments, right? In Exodus 16, where it talked about resting on the seventh day. So why does it show up here again? The reason it shows up here again is because it's coming on the tail ends of God giving Moses the instructions for the tabernacle, the worship piece. And so the worship and the cessation of work, the Sabbath day, go together, tabernacle and, and worship. And so that's why it's, it's sort of uh, restated here and, and brought forward uh, once again here. We also understand from this text that observing the Sabbath was a way of imitating God. Look at verse 16. The Israelites are to observe the Sabbath, celebrating it for generations to come, as a lasting covenant, it will be a sign between me and the Israelites forever. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth. And on the seventh day, he rested and was refreshed. Now, I have to tell you, this is one of those passages that, that I have a lot of questions about. But, but right here at the end where it says God rested and was refreshed. I think, what is that about? I, I don't understand that. I don't think he was fatigued. But so somehow there's a refreshment that comes that's not just from fatigue, but something else. I, I can't wait to talk to the Lord about that. How was it that you were refreshed in this way? 
But something that this passage tells us and sort of confronts us with as a culture uh, is this. I'm going to make this statement and some of you are going to cringe. Okay, but here it is. Rest is godly. Rest is godly. And I think that statement is very countercultural for us because we tend to esteem people by their hard work, uh, by their efforts, by what they do, especially among men. That's one of the ways that men, unfortunately, sort of measure each other up is how hard you work and what you do, what you do and what you're capable of. Uh, If you ask somebody, in fact, think about this. If you ask somebody, how are you doing? What's the response you hear back? I'm busy. I'm working hard. I'm in demand. People need me. You know, I'm working hard. And I think from that, we're, you know, what we're supposed to say, oh, that's great. You know, Uh, consider the the opposite. If we ask somebody, how are you doing? And they said, hmm, I'm rested. What, What would be your response to that? This person's lazy. What's going on here? Are you out of work? Don't you know, you know, winter's coming? As somebody once said, a friend of mine said, there's only two seasons. There's winter and getting ready for winter, right? <laughs> like, that's exactly right. Rest is godly. God rested. And I don't think it was because he needed it. It was because he chose to do it. And he modeled for us that we need it. And we ought to do it. Uh, it's also not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign of strength. Uh, rest is a sign of strength. Um, it's not, however, an excuse for laziness. We can go too far to the other side of the coin. Uh, God finished his work in six days. <laughs> Israel gathered how much on the sixth day? Twice as much. Twice as much. They weren't loafing. They planned to rest. In a sense, they had to work hard to to rest. Uh, And so Sabbath keeping was not laziness, but planned rest as modeled by God. All right. So we've got a backdrop of what the Sabbath meant for Israel and kind of how it related here. Uh, Now, here's sort of the truth that I want to present you guys with, and then we'll get on to the application piece. Observing the Sabbath is not required for new covenant Christians, which we are. We're not under the old covenant. That's not the covenant that is in operation for us. Uh, We learned last week, so I'm going to move through this quickly, that the old covenant has been made obsolete. We have a better covenant. We don't have to approach God through sacrifices and through the tabernacle or through the temple. We approach God directly through Jesus Christ. Our sins are forgiven. We don't need to do another sacrifice. We don't need to be afraid to be in the presence of God. Because of the grace and the mercy of Jesus. We're in a new covenant. The old one has been made obsolete. We talked about that last week. Like your old iPhone or your old iPad. That they're not supporting anymore. It's now obsolete. We're under a new operating system. We approach God through Jesus. We are new covenant Christians. Uh, And we praise God for that. And if you want to look at that, look at Hebrews 8. It makes it perfectly clear. Um, There are, however, some timeless principles that we learn from the Sabbath and from the Old Covenant that that we can can value. And we'll get to that in just a second. But for those of you who are tempted to keep the Sabbath as a matter of law or a matter of obligation, I want to just confront you with this. 
what you're doing is putting training wheels back on your bike. It's like having a 21-speed titanium full suspension mountain bike with all the freedom and the access that it gives you and putting training wheels back onto it. It's a backwards step. The Sabbath, as we understand, was a sign for Israel in the Old Covenant. It's not a sign of our relationship with God. Colossians 2 makes this perfectly clear, 2.14 through 17. It says, Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he has taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. That word there for reality is actually soma in Greek, which means the substance. Those were just shadows, pictures, types, looking forward. Christ is the substance. We're under the new covenant. Praise God. Romans tells us that we are free, however, to observe a special day or not. In other words, I believe it is optional. It is a matter of conscience, as the Apostle Paul teaches us. Romans 14.5 says this, One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. In other words, we have liberty here. We have freedom. We have choice. We can observe this if we, if we choose to, but we're not obligated to. And we're certainly not required to as a matter of law or relationship with God. Okay? So how do we do this? And, and, and what are we supposed to do with all this? Here's my advice. I would encourage you to consider setting aside time for rest and worship as a matter of personal discipline, as a respectable option. Uh, and, and, and let me show you why I say that. First of all, let's look at the questions you have in your handout here. Are we under this requirement? No. I hope that's been made abundantly clear to you. If it's not required, then why should I keep it? Jesus tells us something very interesting in Mark chapter 2, verse 27. He says that, and he was speaking to those that had been really oppressed by the Sabbath and Sabbath keeping. It had become a whole rigmarole. I can hardly say that word. Keeping the Sabbath almost became more work than not keeping it. And Jesus was frustrated that by, by what he saw and the burden it was for people. And he told them, he said, the Sabbath was what? Made for man, not man for the Sabbath. In other words, the undergirding principle of Jesus' teaching was that there is benefit of the Sabbath for of keeping the Sabbath for people. There was a built-in benefit, so there's something to think about there. The basis of his teaches of his teaching was that it was beneficial. So I think it's reasonable to see well what benefits are in it and how might those intersect with our life. C.S. Lewis has this great quote that I wanted to give you from it's from his book Mere Christianity. And he talks about the importance of training the habit of faith in our life. Uh, And he says this. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe. Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. 
As a matter of fact, if you examined 100 people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most simply drift away? And that last question is what really hit me. People who leave the faith, I, I think most of the time, if you were to talk to them, they wouldn't say, oh, yes, this person argued me right out of it, and I no longer see it as viable. I think people just simply drift. They don't remind themselves of the truths that they really do believe. Our faith must be fed. It must be practiced. It must, we must remind ourselves of what we believe. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25 remind us that we shouldn't give up the habit of meeting together. But we should continue to meet together to encourage one another. And I think that's important. And so I just would want to tell you that I think keeping a day of rest and worship is a way of practicing belief. and Strengthening ourselves. It's like working out in the gym. We have to work out our faith. And I think that's important. Some of you might say, well, wait a minute. My life and my, my circumstances, my work, whatever, they don't really allow for me uh, to do this. And the first thing I want to tell you is this. Nobody's going to walk up to you and hand you rest. It's not going to happen. You, you're going to have to plan for it. It's going to have to be a conviction of yours that you put in place and that you guard. Because nobody's going to give it to you. Everything will vie for it. And so if you, as a matter of personal discipline, as a respectable option, choose to set aside time for rest and worship, as is your liberty to do, you should plan for it. You will have to plan for it. And I, I want to speak especially to those of you who are seasonal workers. And in Alaska, this is a lot of folks in the room. This is going to be a hard thing. I, I know some of you guys work with the fire crews. and Some of you were just out for 14 days, and now you're back. You're going to have to plan for your rest. And you may not be able to set aside a whole day. Maybe you can set aside a couple hours within a, within a day that you say, this is the time that I pull back from work and I acknowledge the Lord and I worship him. So you'll have to have to figure out how that works in your own life. I would tell you this. The more difficult it is for you to do, uh, the greater is your need. The harder it is for you to do, the closer you are to being a slave either of your own making or someone else's. The harder it is for you to do, the greater is your need. Husbands uh, and wives, you need to partner together in this effort. You will have to come up with what is your collective plan. And you may need to work hard to spell one another so that you can have this time of rest uh, and worship. Men, you were presented with an opportunity this morning so that your wives could go to the ladies' retreat. Uh, you may have to set something aside and say, no, I'm going to step up and I'm going to spell my wife for this time so she can rest and engage the Lord and engage other people in the church. You may need to do that. Um, John and Noel Piper, I appreciate that John, is, John Piper is a well-known author and his, his wife, Noel, one of the things that they do uh, to make sure that Sundays is a day for rest for her, the kitchen's closed. And when they do eat dinner, because you've know, you got to eat, it's paper plates. It doesn't matter who's coming over, any dignitary or special person, paper plates, so that it's a restful day for her, which I think is important. Um, one of the things Amy does for me to, to make sure that I have a time of rest, because let me just, I'll be honest with you, Sunday morning is not a restful time for me. Um, I love you all, but you know, you're all pieces of work, as am I, and it's work to be here, you know, uh, and uh, I need rest. I need a break from y'all. <laughs> yeah. 
And one of the things Amy does for me is, is she allows me to go hunting. I love that time, as you guys can tell. For me to, to leave this space and this kind of work where I'm studying and praying and listening and talking, and I get to go out into the quiet of creation and walk around and, and see what God has made and watch the critters move and have that quiet and engage the Lord is the most restful and invigorating thing for my spiritual life. And my wife picks up the slack for me to allow me to do that. And for a week, she takes on the responsibilities at home alone. That means when I get home, men, when we get home, we need to be ready to serve. And not just come in and dump all our nasty, grody gear on the ground and let it linger for days. We need to come home with refreshment and energy and vitality ready to serve our wives and our families. Uh, If you're a young couple... Uh, maybe you want to swap childcare with another couple so that you guys can have time together, that you can worship together, you can engage the Lord together and rest together. Solicit the help from another family that might provide some childcare for you, an older couple that would probably be invigorated by having your kids for a little while. Maybe not, but maybe <laughs> something to think about. Let me ask you this question. I, as you look at this, you realize rest and worship is going to be costly. It's going to cost you something, right? But let me ask you this. What will the absence of rest cost you? As near as I can tell, it it only is going to cost you in two areas of your life. Your spiritual health and your physical health. Just small things, right? So what will it cost you not to set aside a time of rest? And not to set set aside a time for worship? Next question I would ask you is this, or that I would anticipate is this. How should I practice rest and worship? Again, you're going to have to guard it because everything will vie for it and want to take it away from you. For me, one of the days that I set aside as sort of as sacred, if I can use that word, is Saturday. Um, it's a day I don't work. Um, now, there are at times exceptions, and it's not a matter of law, so I can choose to make those. But I guard my Saturdays. And, and, and if you want to, you can test me in this. Call me on Saturday. I'm not going to answer my phone. I screen my calls. Even if I know who you are and I know why you're calling, chances are I'm not going to answer the phone because you may go off on some other tirade for something else. And so I screen my calls. I guard that time. That is time for me to be home resting with my family. And I need that time. On Sunday afternoons, I'll tell you what it looks like at our house. It's ugly. If you come over to our house this afternoon, I'm going to have on you know, a pair of raggedy old jeans and a sweatshirt. I'm going to have a peanut butter sandwich. The kitchen and the house is going to be a mess because we're not working to clean it up. We don't care. We're going to let it be. We're going to let it lie. And, and we're going to woof down these sandwiches and a glass of milk, and we're going to race to the couch because one couch is more comfortable than the other for napping. <laughs> and we take a nap. And that's what it looks like for us. It's just... Pretty every day, you know. Um, I also would challenge you to consider this. Um, I'm going to go long this morning. There's just no two ways about it. <laughs> oh, God bless Keith. Oh, mercy. I would encourage you to identify some places as sacred space, uh, particularly your kitchen table. Uh, for us, that means we don't bring our cell phone to the table. Uh, Not for surfing the net, for Facebook, for texting, for calling, for weather updates, for anything. Leave it away from the table. Be at the table. Be with your family. 
Be present with each other. Listen to each other. Tell stories. Talk about your day. Engage one another. Be present with them. And in fact, I'm going to go way out on a limb here and just confront some of you here. Some of you walk around with this stupid device constantly in front of you, engaged in almost everything except the people you're with. Stop it. Just shut it off and be present with who you're with. Honor them. They're in front of you. Be with them. He who is available to everyone isn't any good to anyone. So be present where you are and shut that thing off. Uh, I think, too, in terms of keeping a Sabbath, we've talked about there's really two dimensions to it. There's a physical rest component and there's an engagement of worship. And probably for all of us, one or two of those is easier than the other, right? Uh, For uh, Sundays, uh, I think, you know, for many of you, it's probably fairly easy to engage the Lord in worship, but maybe it's harder for you to rest. You know, for Pastor Keith, I think Sunday's probably a hard day for him, uh, you know, to really rest because he's so engaged in worship. You've got to figure out which one of these you need to work towards. We need both. And consider which one you need to be more intentional about. I have a quote for for you from uh, a Jewish man, Abraham Joshua Heschel. Now, take this quote with a grain of salt, because I do believe that this man thinks he must keep the Sabbath as a matter of law, which hopefully we've made clear that I don't think that's the case. But I do think he captures the principle about the Sabbath and what it was intended for, that it's really good. He says this, six days a week, we wrestle with the world, wringing profit from the earth on the Sabbath, We especially care for the seed of eternity planted in the soul. The world has our hands, but our soul belongs to someone else. I think that's good. He's got that right on the money. So let me come back to our opening uh, video here. Did Eric Little do the right thing? My answer might surprise you. I think he did the right thing, but for the wrong reasons. Okay? Here's how I would answer it. First of all, uh, his his race was on Sunday, and he said that to run this race would be to break God's law because it was the Sabbath. Well, strict adherence to the law would be the Sabbath is on Saturday, not Sunday. And Sunday's the first day of the week, not the seventh. Therefore, he really was available to run, even if you were applying the law strictly and literally. So he made a mistake there. Uh, secondly, the Sabbath is a sign of the old covenant which Eric Little, as a believing Christian, was not under. And so, in that sense, I think he exercised uh, something he didn't need to. He held himself under the law that he didn't need to because he's not under it any longer. He had the liberty to, to run if he wanted to. Thirdly, however, Romans tells us that we may set aside a time of worship and rest as a matter of our conscience, right? We may set it aside as sacred, or we may not. And we're not to judge each other with this. In other words, he could have in his mindset as a matter of conscience, I've set this time aside for the Lord. I've devoted it to the Lord. I'm not going to work or strive on this day. And that would have been for him the right thing to do to stay consistent with that. So in other words, I think he did the right thing, but for all the wrong reasons. Because he said to run on the Sabbath would be to break God's law. And Eric Little and Bethel Church, you're not under that law. We're under grace. Praise God. I want to conclude with the words of Jesus. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. 
Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we come here this morning with a light burden because you've given it to us. And we believe and we know that when we yoke up to you, Jesus, we don't have to pull hard because we're just walking next to the one with all the strength. Jesus, you have made a way. You have brought us to the Father. You carried our sins. You destroyed it with your death and with your resurrection. So we're no longer under this law. Lord, we, we want to honor you, but we also don't want to disparage the work of Christ. So if we rest and we worship and we set aside a time to do so, Lord, we do it not as an obligation or as under the law, but as a time to draw near to you and to honor you and to love you and to rehearse what we know and to remind ourselves of truths and to practice and develop and equip our faith. Lord, we say thank you for the rest that you offer us in this life and the eternal rest that waits for us because of your work on the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.